Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. I've had a few people this weekend say, you're still here? I'm not sure how to take that. Yep, they haven't fired me yet. No, we'll be out of here in a couple of weeks. We've got three more weeks. We're racing to the end of the book of Exodus. So we've got this week, two more weeks. Exodus will be over and we'll be out of here. We'll be out of here for a little bit, just for a sabbatical. So uh, good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 35 as well, where we will begin our reading. You'll notice it's 34 through 36. I'll just refer to 34. But this is our Exodus teaching series, The Way Out. Generous Hearts and Hands is the title of this weekend's message. Also grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along there. Part of the intro, generosity isn't something that God wants from us, but something he wants for us. So when we talk about generosity, generous hearts and hands, it's not something that he wants from us. It's something he wants for us. He wants us to be so consumed with his glory that, that we move instinctively in gratitude with generous hearts and hands to a world of need around us. And so a heart that truly understands the gospel overflows with gratitude and generosity. So if you really understand the gospel, the natural response to the gospel would be a heart of gratitude and generosity. If you don't feel that way, then you probably don't truly understand the gospel. Maybe you've never really heard the gospel. There's a lot of people that don't know the gospel, don't understand the gospel. You don't hear a lot of the gospel message, even in many American churches to this very day. So, so when you've heard it, I'm, I'm saying really heard it, not just in your head, but when it gets a hold of your heart, oh my goodness, you become a person of, of outrageous and contagious gratitude and generosity. It's just normal overflow of your life. And uh, so we're going to talk about the motive, the measure, and the method of our generosity. That's where we're headed with our study here this morning. And so would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray before we walk through our um, text and then unpack these notes. Let's pray. Father, we're delighted to be here this morning. We love your presence. And uh, you are a compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And we were created to enjoy the riches of your glory. And when we do, our hearts are filled with gratitude and generosity. So we pray this morning, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us. Reveal to us anything that is keeping us from enjoying the riches of your glory and filling our hearts with gratitude and generosity and lead us in the way everlasting. May we repent and believe in you with greater sincerity and purity. We pray these things in your son's beautiful name and everyone said, amen. Let's, uh, I'm gonna begin reading uh, Exodus chapter 35. Let me bring you up to speed here if you haven't been with us. It's always good to kind of do a quick summary of, of the book. So uh, chapters 1 through 19 is redemption. It's uh, God setting uh, the Israelites free from Egyptian bondage. It's a great picture of our redemption. He's redeemed us. He's rescued us. 
and uh, he's reconciled us back to himself. And so the, the second half of the book is really about, so t- chapters 20 all the way to 40 is about relationship. It's about intimate relationship with God. So he redeems us. He set us, sets us free from those things that enslave us, those things that we would love more than him. See, our tendency is that we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. And he sets us free from those things because those things will enslave us and disappoint us and eventually devastate us. It's inevitable, just a matter of time. And so he sets us free from those things so that we can enter into intimacy with him because intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. (laughs) There's nothing better. There's nothing absolutely better than intimacy with God. And so the, the back half of the book is about intimacy with God. So Moses goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. People are down below, and he gets all this instruction from God. By the way, this is all preceded by chapter 19, and chapter 19 is covenant love and redemption. So he's redeemed us. He loves us. So we don't obey him to get his blessing. We have his blessing. Therefore, we respond to him. And so he's laying out how we should respond to him. He gives us the Ten Commandments. Then he lays out the building of the tabernacle, and then a priest and sacrifices. And while Moses is up there, chapter 32, what are the people doing? Oh my goodness, they're, they're building a golden calf. And, and, and I described it last week, in essence, that would be like finding your spouse on your honeymoon night in bed with another lover. And that's what's going on here. And, but because God is, is a, a God of, of forgiveness, in fact, we know that uh, Chapter 34, it's, it's really about renewal, and he's, he's a God ready to forgive. Of course, Moses, as a type of Christ, intercedes for the people, and so God is going to forgive them, and he renews this covenant with them. Because we all have idolatry in our heart. That's what it is. The essence is idolatry. So God comes back and renews the covenant. That's chapter 34. And we pick up our reading in chapter 35 because they get to work in building the tabernacle. But they need a few things. They need some resources for that. So chapter 35, verses 1 through 3, he talks about Sabbath because they're going to get busy and they're going to get to working. But he's saying, hey, don't forget the Sabbath. You need to have boundaries. You need to take a day off. And you need to have some margin in your life. And then we begin reading chapter 35, verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Notice that, to the Lord. And whoever is of a generous heart. Anytime you read a text, you always want to look for repeated words. You're going to see some repeated phrases and ideas as we work through this. And so... He says, to the Lord, this is a contribution to the Lord, and whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Then it goes through the details of what they begin to bring. So they're making a contribution. They're passing the plate, so to speak. And everybody's bringing their their money to the the church, to to the place here so they can build the tabernacle. Look at verse 10 now. Jump to verse 10. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So not only are they giving their treasure, but they're giving their time and their talents now. Now, and so you see the rest of that in the text. Now jump to verses 21 and 22. And they came everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution. You see some repeated phrases? So this is to the Lord, this is the Lord's contribution. And oh, by the way, it's motivated out of a heart of gratitude for God. Remember 34 is covenant renewal. They blew it big time and yet God was quick to forgive because he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so now they're responding to him out of gratitude. 
and generosity by the giving of their their treasure and their time and their talents, and they're doing that because their hearts are stirred. Notice it says, and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Look at verse 22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a, what is that word? Willing heart. So this wasn't forced. It wasn't coerced. It wasn't manipulated. They, just, they were responding to all that God had done for them. Out of a willing heart brought, and then it goes through the list of things that they begin to bring. Let's just talk about heart just for a minute, because the word uh, heart is used some 900 times in the Bible. And the word heart basically is the control center of your entire self. In the Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It tells us in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So your heart is your core trust. What is it you're ultimately trusting? You can say you trust in Jesus, but ultimately hard times, difficult times, even good times will reveal what you're really trusting in. So it's the core of your trust and what you ultimately treasure the most. And whatever it is, it will control your thoughts, emotions, and actions when it comes to life and how you live out your life. And so they're giving their heart. So when you think of heart, don't just think of mind, emotion, and will. Think of what, do you, what is it that you treasure? Where do you get your sense of meaning and hope and happiness ultimately from? Is it from your kids? Is it from your marriage? Is it from, or is it from God? It needs to be ultimately from God. Marriage and kids are a good thing. Jobs are good things, but don't get your ultimate meaning, hope, and happiness from any of those temporal things. They're gonna eventually, those are those things that enslave us. Oh my goodness. And they're going to disappoint us and they're going to devastate us. That's called idolatry, by the way. You know that. And so we got to make sure that our heart's deepest loyalties and affections are are God and him alone. And that's what's going on. They're responding out of this heart of, of love. Jump down to verse 29 now. So they're continuing to bring their offerings, willing heart. Verse 29, and all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them. You see that again? It just over and over again. Their hearts are moved. Their hearts are stirred. The core of their trust and their treasure is God and him alone. And so their heart moved them to bring anything for the work, of, uh, the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, uh, brought, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. There it is again, that idea of free will, not coerced, not manipulated. He didn't spend 20 minutes taking an offering and trying to bang on everybody so that they'll give more money. He didn't do that. And so you got the rest of the, they begin the construction of the tabernacle, the rest of chapter 35. Now jump to chapter 36, and starting in verse 2, and Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, that'll be the last time I'll try to read that, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him, there it is again to come to do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the Lord, that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary, and they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. Notice what their response. So the workers, the workers eventually go, hey, okay, we've, got, we've had enough, don't bring any more. And they said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no, one, no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. 
So they're just so overcome with gratitude and generosity that they give to the point where, hey, we don't need any more. Stop bringing stuff. And that's what happens here. And so you got the rest of them. They're building out the tabernacle. And you see this in the coming chapters there as they build out the tabernacle and all the specifics to the tabernacle. This is God's word to us this morning. So what is this all about? How does this apply to our life? So let's look at the motive and the measure and the method of our generosity. I think it gives us some really great insight here. The motive for our generosity, it's not our generosity that makes us distinct from others as Christians. Now, as Christians, would you agree that there should be a difference in our life? I mean, I mean, think about this. We're, in, we're interacting. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe, so it should transform us. The Bible calls it holiness. We should be so happy in God that sin loses its appeal to us. That's holiness. And so it should so transform our lives. And so we should be different. But it's not our generosity that makes us distinct from others because Christians and non-Christians are generous alike. It's why we are generous. And don't miss this next point because it's why do you give? Why are you generous? What's the motive? And it's not fear or pride and or pride, but love. That should be the motive. That's your fill in the blank there. So not fear and or pride, but love. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because why? He first loved us. See, everything that's going on here is based on God's preemptive love of them as a people. We, we don't obey him to get his blessing. I don't care what you've heard or what you've been taught. We have his blessing through Jesus Christ. He pursues us. He loves us. He brings us into into relationship with him at his expense. And, and then in that relationship, we respond out of love, gratitude. Like I said, if you don't have gratitude and generosity, you're not living in the reality of the gospel. You're not living in the reality of what you have in him. And so you're not motivated out of fear and pride, but you're motivated out of, out of love. He's preemptive love and tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, it's the love of Christ constrains us, it drives us, it pushes us. Oh my goodness, our hearts have been captivated by this love unlike we've ever experienced before and therefore he died for us, that's what it says there, because he died for us, we wanna live for him. We want our lives to reflect all of, of who he is. So that would be the, the appropriate motivation. By the way, you need to know this, that fear and pride can restrain the heart, but only love can transform the heart. And so here's what's crazy. Now listen to me because uh, you're going to see this. You can see it on uh, Christian TV. You can see it in, in many churches uh, here in the Valley and, and nationally, is that they'll motivate people out of fear and pride. Most people don't even know the difference to give and to be generous and to have hearts of gratitude. And that's just, that's wrong motivation. I mean, think about this. Can you take a bad person and make them a good person out of fear and pride? Yeah, certainly, it's not gonna last. It's not a good motivation because it's a self-centered motivation. It's an extrinsic form of motivation. Fear, God's gonna get you, you better get your act together. That's extrinsic motivation. It's fear or pride. You don't want to be like all those losers out there that aren't generous. You need to start giving and step up. And don't you want to be a part of the winning team? You want to be like us, don't you? That's pride. That's self-centeredness. That motivation is self-centeredness. Listen, that's what's fundamentally wrong with us. See, we, in the garden, we turned away from God, and that spiritual alienation left a psychological alienation. We became empty inside. We became self-absorbed. We're a self-absorbed people. 
So you don't take someone that's doing bad and try to get them to do good out of fear and pride. Their heart has to be filled up with the glory of Christ and who he is. And so, I mean, I could, we could, I could teach you some really good communication skills and conflict resolution skills, and you could work on your marriage relationship, but if I don't deal with what's fundamentally wrong with us, our self-centeredness, all you're going to do is become really good at manipulating the other person for your self-interest and for your self-absorption. And so it's got to go from this extrinsic motivation to an intrinsic motivation. Your heart's filled up with the glory of God. You've never been more loved. When you encounter him and you know him and what he's done for you, then you respond. Oh my goodness, you live in the reality of it. And nothing quite like that. Here's the, here's the next part. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but uh, here's the next thing. It's because God is gracious. This goes back to chapter 34. So, so there, this generosity, these hearts of gratitude and generosity are coming out of Exodus 34, which is basically God is gracious, unmerited favor. He's jealous. He demands our deepest loyalties and affections. That's verses 10 through 28 in Exodus chapter 34. And then he's glorious. That's verses 29 through 35 in Exodus 34. In other words, glorious, meaning nothing is more life-liberating and soul-satisfying. All of chapter 34 is, is really renewing the covenant. He's renewing the covenant. Extravagant generosity compels an extravagant response. Uh, didn't you love that song that we sang? Uh, we sang a number of songs, but this one particular song, Blessed Assurance. Isn't that a great song? That's an old song. I grew up singing that song. That's a beautiful song. The, one of the lines, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Do, do you understand what that means? Oh, okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, when you understand that, Blessed assurance. So think about this. The reason why we're all stressed out and anxious and worry, we don't have blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Listen, you either have Jesus in your life or you don't. And it's by grace through faith in, in him. It's not something that you do. It's something that he did so that you could have him in your life. And either you have him or you don't have him. If you got him, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's a slice of heaven on earth. That's what he's saying. And when you live in the reality of that assurance, oh my goodness. So by grace through faith, so it tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not by works, but it's by not your works, but his works. He did the work for you. It's a gift. It's a gift. And either you have that gift or you don't. And so this is what I do, and I would encourage you to do this. You need to regularly revel in the reality of what you have in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why oftentimes we don't have hearts of gratitude and generosity is because we don't realize our resources in Christ. We don't realize that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Do you have any idea how wealthy you are, how rich you are in Jesus Christ? By the way, that's a, that was a quote from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so I'll carry around with me these little cards that remind me just how wealthy I am, especially when I see my attitude kind of going out the window. I don't have much gratitude. Well, I need to go back to the, the bank account here and remember what I've got. And I just revel in the reality of the fact that I'm forgiven of all of my sins. I'm not only forgiven, I'm reconciled to God. 
I have relationship with the living God. Not only am I I forgiven, I'm forgiven, and I'm reconciled, but I'm adopted as his child. I'm lavished with his love, and I'm empowered with his Holy Spirit, and I'm guaranteed a place in heaven. I mean, so, so those are, I mean, so as you revel in the reality of that, you can't help but have a heart of gratitude and generosity. But we're not living there. We don't live there, and we need to. We need to regularly. And uh, so when you fill your heart regularly with the beauty and the value of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you will be a person filled with gratitude and generosity in heart and hand. Gratitude and generosity doesn't happen by trying harder. You're not going to come out of here and go, okay, he, he told us, you know, that if I really understood the gospel, I'm going to be a person of gratitude, so I'm going to work harder to be a person of gratitude. Don't do it. You can't do it, okay? You're not going to be able to pull that one off, nor you're going to be a person of generosity the way that he wants you to be a person of generosity, by trying harder. You don't do it by trying, but by trusting by trusting in the gospel understanding the gospel the gospel takes hold of your heart it's not by working harder it's by worshiping more and experiencing all that he has made available to us as believers in Jesus Christ so the motive is not fear and pride that's why we, I love this church and we don't pass the plate and we're not going to take a couple offerings. We're not going to spend 15, 20 minutes trying to take the offering and then pass it again. And I've been in settings that were like that. And I've been in settings. uh, I listened to a message not too long ago by a church here in the valley, a very, very big church, and it was all pride-motivated generosity. It was all driven by pride. I just thought, what the heck? Where's Jesus in this? Where's the love of God? But most people don't know any better. We're sheep. We're just being led. We just kind of, we don't think. We don't use our head. I'm here to help you to think. I'm challenging you. Think about why do you give when you give? It better not be fear and pride. You need to repent, confess of that, say, no, it's the love of God. God, get a hold of my heart. Ravish me with your beauty and your glory. Okay, I I, I need to get rolling here. Okay, here we go. What's the measure? The measure of our generosity. What's the measure of our generosity? So that's the motive of our generosity. The measure of our generosity, let me just say this. How many are going to go on vacation this summer? Vacation? Show of hands. Okay. You guys, this service is like last night's service is like three people going on vacation. Uh, So you guys aren't going on vacation. Not very many. Okay, good. I'm glad. Okay. You can can hang around here and support the guys that are going to be here and, and while I'm on vacation. Okay. No, but if you go on vacation, let me just say that uh, don't, don't ever go on vacation and read books like Crazy Love by Francis Chan or Radical by David Platt, okay? Because you will feel guilty for laying on the beach, doing nothing, drinking your favorite expensive coffee drinks, and splurging on your favorite restaurants or amusement parks while millions are starving to death worldwide, and another million or so will die and go to hell unless they get the gospel. And that's what those books basically, I mean, they... David Platt's book on Radical made me feel horrible. So I quit reading it. I'll never pick that book up again. No, actually, I read the whole thing, and I read the... But I had people in Desert Breeze that actually said, man, I read that crazy love, and I just feel guilty. Okay, let's talk about this. Maybe you need to feel guilty, okay? I'm not really sure whether you need to or maybe you shouldn't. Is it false guilt? Is it true guilt? And so, And so... I almost felt like my lifestyle is condemning many to starvation and hell. That's what I felt like after reading those books. And, um, and so here's what I usually do on, a lot of times on Sunday morning. I look out over the audience to see if anybody you know, brought uh, coffee drinks from QT or Starbucks. 
And then I just say to him, you know, orphans are starving because you bought that at... <laughs> you could have bought that from DB Cafe, and that feeds orphans. But no, no. You chose to buy from QT. That one drink right there could feed an orphan for a whole week. Is that appropriate? Would that be a good, would that be a good motivation? No, that's terrible motivation. That's terrible motivation. That's guilt. It's, it's more guilt. It's, it's fear. It's more pride. It's, it's crazy. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if we all took cold showers this summer and we saved the electricity and took that money and put it into missions. You know what? Here's what. I, that was a joke, okay? I'm just saying that. That was a joke because I like taking hot showers. And I crank the air conditioning way down, okay, in my house because I need it cool. And, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by all the needs in this world? Absolutely. No matter what you gave, there was always more that was needed? Yep. Yeah. One more child to, to free from the sex trade, one more orphan to provide for, one more unreached people group to get the gospel to. So let me ask you this. How much is enough? I've grappled with this my whole life as I've kind of worked through this. And I want you to struggle with this too because I think it's something that we all need to struggle with. What is the measure of our generosity? Some of you, when I finish up here, you may need to step it up a few notches. You might need to pick up the pace. That's between you and God and the Holy Spirit working on you. Others of you might need to slow the pace down a bit. We all tend to swing to these extremes. So here's Here's how we're going to work through this. Let me give you the next statement on your notes. If we think God needs us to save the world, not only will we take some of the glory, but end up living a guilt-driven and burned-out life rather than a grace-driven and a vibrant life. And so let me give you some verses here to back this up, this, this statement. It's a big statement. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Here's the next uh, one, Psalm 50, 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God has never commanded us to save the world for him. He has called us to follow him as he saves the world through us. He doesn't need us. I know that sounds really bad and harsh and contrary to what you maybe have ever been taught in a church. But that's the reality of what the Bible teaches. He does not need us. Listen to Acts 17, 25. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Here's the next point on our notes. We are not called to be co-messiahs, but conduits of his grace. So it's really, we, gotta, we have to have a healthy perspective so he leads, we follow. So remember, it's preemptive love. He's the one that's leading the way. He's in control. He leads, we follow. He commands, we obey. He supplies, we steward. He delivers, we worship. So we trust him. The weight of the world for its salvation is on Christ, not us. We trust in him. Here's the next one. Generosity is not about what we can do for God in the world, it's about, and this is what the Bible spells out for us. 
It's about consistently, willingly, joyfully, sacrificially, and expectantly doing what God's Spirit leads us to do. So the Spirit must speak to you and what your role is in what God is doing on this planet. This is all spelled out in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 through 4 and chapter 9 verses six through eight. The question is not just how much needs to be done, but what specifically has he empowered me to do? Now, the Bible we know says that we are to give our time, our talents, our treasure. We see this in the text, we see it throughout scripture. So I had to be able to come to you and say, say, in what ways are you giving of your time, your talent, your treasure to God through a local church like Desert Breeze? But let's talk treasure just for a minute. Let's talk about our money. And it's always a tough topic to talk about. We have no problem talking about it. You guys are very generous, and it's because you guys have learned to respond to the love of God, and you give in a really a healthy way. But your giving should look like this. It should look like tithing. The Bible talks about Old Testament, New Testament talks about tithing. It's 10%. And then it talks about also offerings, which is over and above the tithe. And then there's also alms, where you give to the poor. So that's what your, your life should look like. Now, you might not even be able to start there. Maybe your, your finances are really messed up right now, but you need to start somewhere. And you need to begin to take that step of faith and say, God, I want to respond to you, and I want to show you that I honor you and love you and understand gratitude and generosity. And so, God, I'm going to begin to take those steps of faith, even if it's a small step. But my wife and I, I mean, this is just second nature for us. I was taught in a home where my parents were amazing. They still are to this day, amazingly generous with tithing, offerings, alms regularly. So it's just... It's just Goes without saying. By the way, Old Testament was about 25%. We live in New Testament times, so it just seems. And by the way, when I say tithe, it's a rule of thumb. And the more you make, certainly the more you probably should give and the more generous you should be in response to that. Here's the next, uh, next thought on your notes. If you're feeling burned out, it's because you are either trying to do more than he has assigned you or you're trying to do what he has assigned you in your own strength. So you're either trying to do more than what he's assigned you. So you're looking for the Holy Spirit to lead you in the giving of your time, your talent, your treasure. He needs to speak to you specifically as you respond to understanding the role that you play in his kingdom. And... uh, but if you're, if you're burned out, it's possibly because you're trying to do more than what he's called you to do or you're trying to do what he's called you to do in your own strength. Listen to what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. He says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke? Burden? Yeah, he puts a yoke and burden. He has a responsibility. He gives us. He wants us to step up. It's not, generosity isn't something he wants from us. He wants for us. He knows our heart is getting the gospel when we have hearts of gratitude and generosity. But he invites us to a life of rest in him. It's amazing. Here's the next point on your notes. You don't need to feel guilty over what you're not doing if you're doing what God has assigned you to do. Don't compare sacrifices, but obey your assignment. Obey your assignment. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 
that's, uh, um, that's 1 Corinthians 4 too. John 21, 18 through 22, you guys familiar with that story with uh, Peter's kind of reconciling to Jesus after he denied him three times? They're, they're out at the lake, they've been fishing, they come to the shore, Jesus goes on a little stroll with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, do you love me, Peter? And they kind of talk back and forth. And then Jesus lays out kind of how he's going to die. He says, Peter, this is how you're going to die. And your death is going to give glory to me. By the way, you're not going to be able to clothe yourself. It's going to get to the point. It's going to get so bad, you're not going to be able to put your own clothes on. And by the way, you're not going to be able to go where you want to go. People are going to lead you where you're going to go. It sounds almost like he's got Alzheimer's or he's going to have dementia. And Peter looks like, what? Well, what about John over here? John was kind of trailing behind him. He goes, what about John? And Jesus, how did, you remember how Jesus responds? Don't worry about him. If I want him to still be alive when I come back, that's up to me. I'm the one that calls the shots. And so uh, what is he saying? Don't compare sacrifices, but obey your assignment. Are you doing what God has called you to do? See, if God, if God jobs you, you guys know what I'm talking about? If God jobs you, that's the Old Testament guy who suffered tremendously, then we must bear it patiently. If God Abrahams you, a significantly rich man from the standards of his day, we should prove faithful. Please, God, Abraham me. Is that what you guys thinking? No, Job, don't Job me. Abraham me. That's his call. Are you cool with that? You got to. You can trust his loving, wise control of your life. Here's the next one. God is an infinite supply of provision. Don't insult him by refusing to enjoy his blessings, such as food, homes, and vacations. So don't insult him by refusing to enjoy his blessings because you think you are robbing the world of needed provision. 1 Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, to enjoy. And so it's just really coming down to how is God leading you? What, is, what part and sacrifice does he want for you? And don't compare yours with others, but you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Here's the last part, the method of our generosity. We'll knock this out quickly. And so the method of our generosity, I've talked about this a lot in the past. If you download, if you go to our website, you can find other messages on generosity and giving and, and this. This is just good uh, financial advice, but this applies to the, not only the giving of our of our treasure, but also our time and our talents. And so if, if you're going to manage your life appropriately, the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus, Solomon, in the Old Testament, gives us some great advice in managing our time, our talents, and our treasure. And it starts with true wealth. In other words, you need to have contentment in Christ. Because if you don't have contentment, you're not going to have self-control. And you're going to be Pray to the billion-dollar industry that's trying to get your money away from you and to convince you that, that happiness is one purchase away, and you're going to be drawn into compulsive and impulsive spending habits. So uh, you've got to rest in him, find your contentment in him. You'll have self-control, and then you'll do better at planning, which is a budget. It's telling your money where to, where, where to go, so to speak, rather than finding out where it went. And then you've got to keep good records. That's accounting, keeping good records, because that $5 you spend every day at the coffee shop adds up over a month. And before long, you're going, where's all my money going? Well, 
do a better job at planning and accounting, and then you'll have that generosity. God has called us to be good stewards of our time, talent, and treasure. I'm going to invite Pastor Scott up, and he's going to share with us some really great news about what God has been doing here through your generosity and our continued uh, efforts in expanding our facilities. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Hi again. How are you? So before I get into the nitty-gritty of the numbers and the details, let me tell you what God has really brought us through the last few years. We, uh, we got into this facility uh, in 2014. Doesn't seem like that long ago, does it? But that was preceded by nine years of being in a high school, setting up every weekend and taking down every weekend. And we did that so that we could save money, do what Ray's talking about here, to be able to, to have a facility of our own to do what God wanted us to do in our own place instead of seven hours a week in a high school. And it happened. Yeah. And after we got in in 2015, we had realized that we had spent most of the money that we had saved and we needed to start another phase of the campaign to restore the savings that we had because we still have undeveloped space here with the tenants in them and we want to finish and complete our building so we could have it for all church use. So we began what's called Dairy to Move 2000, or excuse me, 2.5. And our goal was $1.5 million and that campaign continues on. Some of you may not know what that's about. Uh, DYTM 2.5, that means Dare You to Move. And uh, since then, 2015, we've been able to, through pledges and unsolicited gifts, specifically for Dare You to Move, we've been able to put in our Dare You to Move account $460,000. That's nothing. <laughs> But if you look at our bank account, our Dare to Move bank account right now, there's almost $900,000. So you're wondering, why did that happen? It's because you have to understand what the Dare to Move campaign was about, and you have to understand this message. You have to understand why we do what we do here at Desert Breeze. Dare to Move was not just Dare to Move financially. Primarily, it was dare you to move in your relationship with God so he would renew your heart and make you a, a generous, contributing member of Desert Breeze Community Church and what God is doing here. Dare you to move relationally with God. Dare you to move relationally with his church. Dare you to move relationally with the people around you so that you could share one another's burdens and, and be the church. That's what happened. And so the uh, jump from $460,000 to $900,000 is a result of generous hearts sold out to God and what he is doing here. And so God not only grew us uh, externally because he's brought more people here, so we've grown in numbers, but he's grown us from the inside out. He's grown hearts from the inside out here. And so the increase in general giving helps us to increase our staff to meet the needs of a growing church. And by the way, from last year to even the first quarter of this year, our general giving has grown 18%. And so what we've done is we've budgeted this increase in dollars uh, to increase the people and resources that God has given us uh, to wisely meet the needs of the church, but it's allowed us to uh, and allow the church to take our savings of $440,000 and dedicate it to Dairy to Move. That's how we get to the $900,000.
But God's done even more than that. Big surprise, right? Since 2016, we've been able to equip our overflow room called the Breezeway. Hi, Breezeway. There's people in there right now. To complete some exterior improvements to the building. To expand and remodel and equip our incredible youth room. If you haven't been in there, you should go check it out where our junior hires and high schoolers are, to expand, remodel, and equip the DB Cafe so it's more efficient, has bigger capacity that we could raise more money for missions, to also install a state-of-the-art security surveillance system so we're a safer church, and to also, we just finished this, to expanding our wonderful uh, children's ministry program where it's remodeled and equipped better than it ever has been. And so all that without touching a dime of the Dare You to Move money. Right? It has to be God, because that's way beyond all of us, right? And so, as Ray said, we don't pass the plate. We don't hammer people for money. It has to be God's economy, and that's happening because of what our, what our attitude and our motives are. Dare You to Move. Do you guys remember what the Dare You to Move theme verse is? Second Chronicles 16.9. I want you to outdo the person next to you. We're going to read this aloud together. So outdo that person. Let's read it. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Do you see that happening? It is happening. And it's God's favor because our hearts are towards him and blameless. That's how God's math works. I like his math. It's old math, not new math. <laughs> but here's what's the deal all those improvements that I've talked about in this beautiful facility none of it matters none of it matters if we're not making disciples we would be squandering God's blessings if we didn't make disciples if we didn't focus on developing a safe place where people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Every brick, every stick, every piece of metal, every piece of technology, whatever it might be, would be squandering it if we weren't making an internal investment in the people that God's bring through our doors. Not only you, but those, those people that don't know Christ. And so that's our call. That's what God has called us to do. We are the church. That's how we are the church. And so God has blessed us with all this so we could do that. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for what you're allowing God to use you for. Excellent. Thanks, Praise God. God. Thank you. That, that verse, that tail end of that verse where it says heart that is blameless toward him, it actually means fully devoted to him, a heart that just sold out for him. It's a great verse. So uh, we're going to ask uh, Pastor Darren to now share, but we don't have him here. He's actually over in the leadership meeting, and so we, we filmed it from last night, so watch the video. Check this out. Hello, everybody. I'm Darren, and uh, I, as Ray said, I'm here to share a little bit of an update on what's been going on with missions and outreach at Desert Breeze, and it's, it's incredible, and I'm very excited about it. As you guys know, a heart that has been made alive by the power of the gospel uh, just overflows with thankfulness, with this sacrifice, wanting to sacrifice. And uh, we, at Desert Breeze, we see evidence of and opportunity for that kind of generosity. And uh, so let me just give you a quick update of what's been going on in missions and outreach. First of all, in general giving, this is giving just beyond ties and stuff like that towards missions, is, was this last quarter over $9,800. 
Uh, in the cafe, as you probably know, 100% of the profits go towards supporting missionaries. And we, this last quarter, we had over $5,300. So that's a total of fifth, over $15,000 just in those two things, going towards missions and outreach. That goes to support some missionaries. As you guys might remember, Rachel Hansen, last August, we commissioned her out to go to an unreached people group in India, a people that have never heard the gospel. And we commissioned her out. And uh, she has been connecting with us, and she said that she's adjusting well. It's tough, but she's adjusting well. She said that she's doing that by learning the language. She's working really hard at that. She's creating and building relationships within the community and helping those who are less fortunate. She's teaching and sharing the gospel, and she just started teaching some classes there for them. And, uh, and so she said she's adjusting really well. And as she writes, she said this. She says, this really is about people realizing that the kingdom of God is in the midst of us. He's here. And above all, we are beholding our king. Um, so that's Rachel. This is one of the missionaries that we support. The Patricks, another, another couple that we support, they, um, they report that things are going well as they reach Disney World. And you might be thinking, what kind of missionaries reach Disney World? I thought that too at first. Uh, but uh, in Disney World, in a way, it's kind of like a lost city. Over 12,000 people from 60 countries come there to do internships and to work. And so many of them, most all of them lost. Some of them coming from countries that have never heard the gospel. And so they come there and, and they're building relationships and doing Bible studies and sharing the gospel. They come to know Christ and they go back to their country to share the gospel there. And so they report things are really going well in that. The McDonald's, they're the missionaries we support in Africa. Uh, as you guys probably remember, we had an angel tree at the end of the year through Christmas. And uh, in that angel tree, we, we've been seeing, if you've been watching the blogs or Desert Breeze's Facebook, we've seen that angel tree begin to really take form in the last few months. So many things have been going on that God provided through us at Desert Breeze. Things like supporting widows and grandmas who are raising their grandchildren by themselves in poverty. A jigger removal program. A jigger is a, a parasite that eats the flesh of your hands and your and your feet, sometimes causing paralysis or death. And they went into a school because of what was provided through Desert Breeze by God, went in to remove jiggers. Uh, food and beds provided, even a well was donated. School fees and uniforms provided. Uh, chickens were provided and goats, which really is, it's really neat. It's a, it's a seed effort of a place where single moms can go and work and gain a, li a living in a way so they don't have to turn to things like prostitution, which happens frequently there. And, and so we see a lot of incredible things happening there, taking form, because of what God provided through Desert Breeze. We see things going on in Mexico. Last year we put a roof over the half the orphanage there in, Me in Mexico. This last quarter we went down and tiled the floor underneath it. In fact, there was a small team of people from Desert Breeze that went down today to go bring diapers and laundry detergent, things that they really need to spend the day with them. So great things going on Mexi in Mexico. There are local things going on. Local things like the Choices Pregnancy Center. We had a baby bottle drive here. We got a letter in early May that said, man, at Desert Breeze, you guys raised, just by gathering your change together, $4,641.44. That's a lot of change. Uh, so many things going on. You just heard about the um, Boxer Brief drive, right? 
This should be fun. It's summer clothing for the homeless. They really, really need that right now. And what a great opportunity to bring in men and women's boxers, briefs, sizes, medium to double extra large, and to help them in that. And, and so, so much going on. I mean, I could, I could go on. But you can get more info, information on this by going to the table out there or even going to the websites and the blogs of the missionaries we support and even giving directly to them. Um, but I could go on, but this really isn't all about that, is it? This really is about the God of the gospel, the God who is the gospel, the God who moved towards us when we were helpless and hopeless and made our hearts come alive. And out of that, just out of thankfulness, just begins to overflow from our hearts. I mean, we have an amazing God. And what an amazing way, what amazing ways to worship and glorify him. May we respond to his love in this way and so many other ways. He is so deserving of it. Thank you, guys. Give him a hand. I'm going to conclude in prayer, but uh, before I do that, let me just say uh, to those of you that have kids over in our uh, children's ministry, our, our children's ministry workers and volunteers and staff, they do a phenomenal job. There's a lot of ministry that goes on right here week in and week out. So when you go over there and pick up your kids, tell them how much you appreciate them. Tell them that you really value them and are there to support them and love them. So would you do that for me, please? Okay. Thank you. Let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for the generous hearts and hands we see here at Desert Breeze because of the gospel. Nothing, nothing can transform a human heart, heal a wounded soul, turn hatred into love, and bring about forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace like the gospel. May the motive of our generosity be love. May the measure of our generosity be consistent, willing, joyful, sacrificial, expectant as your Holy Spirit leads us and the method of our generosity be the faithful stewardship of all the time and the talents and the treasure you have abundantly given us for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys.